welcome to the weekly retail politics podcast where we bring you one download at a time the best political information about your nation i'm your host jerry shields and today we will discuss the politics of texas with ken herman pulitzer prize winning columnist for the austin american statesman welcome to the podcast ken happy to be here let's get to it uh, one of the most watched developments in the politics, of course, was the Arizona and Georgia flip uh, to the, from Republican to Democrats. But fascinating was the thought that Democrats felt they had a shot at flipping Texas. And I remember Kamala Harris there in the final days of the campaign in a state that hasn't voted for a Democratic president in uh, since 1976. You had a great line in one of your uh, columns, which I think sums up the issue and sums up this podcast, which was, Bubba, we're not in Texas anymore. Tell me about that. Yeah, we a lot of us uh, kind of fell for it. I was at a rally that uh, Harris did. It was up in Fort Worth. I'm in Austin. And uh, it was it was big, you know, as rallies go in, in the time of, uh, of COVID. And there really seemed to be, and it was supported by some polling data, uh, an indication that this could be the year in a big way, Texas Democrats uh, came out of the wilderness. Uh, tech, Democrats have not won a statewide race in Texas since 1994. Mm-hmm. And before that, we were a two-party state for about 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. before that, it was a, like a lot of Southern states, it was all Democratic. When I first got to Texas in the... Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mid seventies to date mm-hmm. myself, um, uh, you know, the Republicans didn't win. There was one Senator, John tower who got in in a weird special election in 1961, but it was uh, like most of the South, uh, solid democratic. But even then I-, I realized having grown up in Brooklyn and having seen something, you know, sort of Rockefeller Republicans, there were people here who called themselves Democrats who I really couldn't understand it, but that just was a tradition. So, you know, the state has changed and now uh, Democrats can't win. We thought this was a year where they could. And Biden, you know, there were some polls. He was actually up, wound up losing by about six points. And it actually turned out to be a disastrous year for Democrats, especially when they had become, dare I say, a little cocky about their chances. Their big goal was obviously to carry it for Biden. And if that had happened, that was the only thing that needed to happen for Biden to win. Uh, it didn't happen. But their other goal was to possibly flip the Texas House of Representatives, 150 members. And they really, it seemed like they had a chance to flip the nine seats they would need to take over the House. Uh, no chance to take the state Senate. There was nothing going there. But this is, uh, was a huge year legislatively all over the country because this coming year w- is a redistricting year where we'll redraw legislative and U.S. House districts. And that, you know, that dictates things for 10 years to come. So if the Democrats could have taken over the House here and had a, a much bigger say in redistricting, it was a big deal. Didn't happen. Didn't come close to happening. And uh, and and the other thing is the Democrats have been saying for years, and, and the, a lot of this was buoyed by uh, Beto O'Rourke's very strong run against Ted Cruz two years ago for the U.S. Senate seat, wound up losing by two or three points, which was a moral victory, but uh, the, uh, a moral victory in one where they thought they had a chance for a real victory. So hopes were real high. Once again, disappointment. Uh, The line had been, Democrats have been saying, we're not a red state, we're a non-voting state. And when people vote, uh, it'll change. Well, people voted this year. Turnout was very high. And it turns out a lot of the non-voters were Republicans. But there were some (laughs) interesting outcomes around the state that were fascinating. 
the most fascinating being how well Trump ran in some heavily Hispanic counties along the border that are just, you know, always Democratic counties. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, there's some he didn't carry, but that his percentages went up by, by shocking amounts. Uh, there's one uh, Hidalgo County, which is a pretty populous county along the border. In 2016, he got 28%. This time, he got 41%. Hmm. Uh, and there were some others where he went up from 33% to 52%. Uh, one where he went from 21% in 16 against Hillary to 45% this time. And that's a, a shocking outcome for Democrats in these heavily Hispanic counties. Uh, among the theories is uh, fracking, the method of pulling energy out of the ground, is very big down there. And uh, there was some concern as to whether the Biden-Harris ticket was going to uh, continue to support fracking, and it's a major part of the economy there. But whatever it was, Trump uh, didn't carry those counties, but uh, an incredible increase uh, from what he did four years ago. So aside from the Beto O'Rourke thing, what was giving Democrats hope that this could possibly happen? Could be drug abuse. It's possible it's drug abuse. Uh, no, um, there was polling data. There was poll, you know, the dreaded polling data showing that, that Biden was close. Um, uh, the feeling, too, that, um, you know, that maybe Trump had maxed out last time. And I think there was some of this feeling, and it did turn out to be true in a lot of places, that everyone who really loved Trump voted for him last time. Uh, nobody who didn't vote for him last time was going to vote for him this time. He wasn't going to pick up votes. And and the better Iraq thing, how strong he ran uh, two years ago, which may have been an isolated phenomenon. The other thing that's going on is eventually this will become a blue state. And here's the probable reason why. Hispanics still, even with the Trump anomaly this time, are are and have been traditionally, it could change, uh, dependably democratic. What they haven't been is dependable voters. And the, you know, the effort's been going on for as long as I've been in Texas. If we can increase the Hispanic turnout, Democrats will do better. A uh, case can be made that if Hispanic turnout was anywhere near what the overall turnout is, uh, we might not have any Republicans in statewide office. Um, but it's, it just has, it's hard to move that needle. But here's what's happening. The percentage of total population here, the Hispanic population, just keeps going up and up and up. So even if the percentage turnout doesn't increase, at some point, the numbers are just such that um, uh, the Democrats will prevail. Republicans, and they did it again this year after the election, you know, we, they always acknowledge we have to do better among Hispanics and we're going to reach out to them. And uh, they've had some success. George W. Bush ran pretty well among Hispanics here. But it's, uh, you know, that's the changing demographic here. And it's, a, it's an inevitable trend. And at some point, Hispanics will be a majority here. And at that point, the uh, elections might change. But it's funny because after this election, both parties did a, uh, are sort of doing a uh, after-action review. The Democrats, you know, the fight, the, the, the struggle here, same as it is nationwide between do we need to be more to the middle of the road or... Uh, Have we tried that? And we need to go further progressive. And the Republicans are having the same fight here. Uh, How far to the right? You know, we used to have some Republicans here we considered to be pretty far out there to the right. They're kind of moderates now. They've been outflanked. And uh, we have a relatively new chairman of the state Republican Party, a man named Alan West, who had been a congressman, a U.S. House member in Florida, of all things, and served one term in the uh, thrown out of office by the voters, and he wound up living up near Dallas. 
and he is way to the right. He is the one who's, you know, after Trump lost and everything, he's talking about secession and, and uh, you know, he's just, uh, you know, and our governor, Governor Abbott, Greg Abbott, who a lot of Democrats consider, you know, a, a uh, right wing nutball. He's getting outflanked on the right by in, in the COVID things. There are a lot of Republicans saying that he's done too much in shutting things down and he hasn't done very much. So both parties and it, it reflects nationally uh, an internal struggle for control of the party. You mentioned Beto O'Rourke, and I f- forgot that he ran for president this year. And, yeah, a lot of uh, people that, forgot that. Yeah, well, I guess that is. But why do you think he didn't do so well? Uh, he wasn't ready for it. He, uh, I think he um, believed his own PR a little too much. He did a famous cover on uh, a magazine where, you know, the, the pullout quote was, uh, you know, I was born for this or something. And hey, he's just not ready for it. He's... Uh, He's a uh, charismatic character, and he is the kind of politician, and politicians like this can go pretty far of you either love him or hate him. Yeah. He uh, yeah. evokes a visceral reaction. Now, you may have noticed we have a president like that now for the next <laughs> few weeks. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, he, there's some talk he might run for governor in two years, but his, uh, his flash in the pan may, may be over. He's actually going to be uh, teaching some... Uh, I think one political science course at the University of Texas uh, this next semester, but he is, uh, you know, he's still uh, a great fundraiser. Uh, a, a uh, you know, he excites people on the Democratic side, and you know, they can. Uh, he's useful to them. Whether he ever can win anything, I don't know. And I, I don't know what that presidential race was all about. But I think we've forgotten because it just seems like such a lifetime ago. It was such a scramble, especially early on when Biden was a punchline. That, uh, you know, you didn't know what could happen and that you could run with all those candidates. You could do pretty well in one of those early primaries by getting 15 percent of the vote. And, you know, then, you know, it all fell apart for everyone else after South Carolina when uh, Clyburn endorsed Biden and and pretty much carried South Carolina for him. And it's funny because Biden was in Houston the Monday after the South Carolina and uh, had an event at the Texas Southern University, a small event because the events weren't big back then. And, um, you know, it was just amazing sitting there watching him and realizing, you know, a week or so before he was a joke in a fairly still large field at that point. And then through the power of one one primary, he, he was the man. Welcome to America, right? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. The uh, Texas remained big in the political news with the suit against Mike Pence. And explain to us a little bit about the suit and what the ramifications were um, with it. Uh, it's inexplicable. No one can explain it. <laughs> I mean, this latest one is uh, by Louis Gomert, who is uh, from East Texas, uh, uh, basically a part of the state I lived in briefly when I first came to Texas many years ago. And he is from central casting for <laughs> what people think of Texans. He just... Yeah, I covered Louie in the Congress. He's, he's a character. Uh, you know, you yeah. got to have some like that for entertainment value, but uh, you don't know. <laughs> and, this, and then the suit before this by our Attorney General, Ken Paxton, trying to throw out the votes in four other states. Right. was just preposterous. Ken Paxton has been under criminal indictment here for five years in the longest pending criminal indictment ever from some securities fraud. He more recently is uh, being investigated because uh, some allegations were made against him concerning uh, possible uh, illegal aid he gave, gave to a uh, campaign donor. 
And for, unfortunately for him, the allegations were made by his top seven aides who are now. No, that's the Texas former. I know. That's the Texas and that's, I know. You know it, 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 when, when, you're, you, when your top people are going after you, now the FBI is involved. And then, <laughs> uh, then there was a little matter of uh, him helping a woman get a job who apparently, how should we say this, he had become closer to than a married man should become. This uh, woman was a, a legislative aide in the state Senate. Coincidentally or not, Attorney General Paxton's wife is a state senator. Now, this other woman was not an aide to her, but it just—it's uh, great. It's, it's, you can't it's, make it up. I, no, can't it's, make it's it up. kind of stuff that makes America one of the top forty countries on the planet. Exactly. <laughs> That's right. And, but these suits seem to be the death knell for Trump. I think there were these little suits in Pennsylvania and in Arizona, and then all of a sudden you had this monster come out of Texas. And once that was kind of stamped out, it seemed like that was the end. Do you agree? Well, that it was the end before that. And, and it's funny because, um, like everybody, what's the right word? It's fascinated by Trump. And I wrote a column back in the spring just saying, you know, win or lose, this guy is trouble. If he wins, he's still president. And I think as we're seeing in this brief lame duck uh, era he's in now, what would he have done in four years as a lame duck, never having to worry about voters again? Mm. And mm-hmm. that he would never concede. He just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now he's just going to tease us that he might run in 24. Uh, you know, in 24, he'll be 78 years old. We haven't elected a 78-year-old president since November. <laughs> But the uh, with the uh, with the Texas suit, it, I think it was the court saying, you know, hey, Texas, you have no right, you know, judging what Pennsylvania or Florida or Michigan did um, in their election. So that was an interesting. Um, well, and I thought that was to, to my way of thinking, that was an unfortunate ruling because the ruling was you didn't have standing and standing is an important thing. We do need to have rules about who can sue whom for what. I would have preferred if they had taken the case because it would have led to a ruling that would have said something like, you're kidding, aren't you? Um, But this way, you know, it gave Trump the out to to say, like lots of people do when they get thrown out on standing. um, Right. Well, you know, we would have won, you know, just a technicality we lost on. I would have preferred a definitive ruling saying, you know, beyond you can't even file this case of on the merits, you, you have no case. Yeah, and, and that was the U.S. Supreme Court that did that. Is that correct? And, yes, and and the amazing thing too was when we had our meeting of our electors here in the wonderful electoral college, and I think Oof. some of our members of the electoral college never got out of electoral middle school, but they <laughs> uh, they had a guy go to the microphone, a, a elector from Dallas, and these electors are selected at the state Republican convention. Each party convention picks their electors, so if their party carries a state, they're the ones who cast the votes. And he goes to the microphone in our house chamber and he says, here's why the Supreme Court threw that case out. And he says, I heard that some clerk overheard John Roberts screaming at the other justices in their conference and saying, basically, we all know that, you know, this suit is right, but we can't rule this way because there'll be riots. And he gets on the floor and he says this stuff and they vote, the electors vote to censure the, uh, the Supreme Court. And of course, the truth is, not only did that not happen, the Supreme Court has not met face-to-face since March. It just couldn't happen. So I called this elector <laughs> after the fact, and I said, uh, Mr. Patrick, you know, do you understand what you said there? Probably couldn't have happened. And his quote was, uh, I have no comment on the matter. Thank you, and hung up on me. 
Because oh, I think my. by then he realized he was a fool. He was yeah. a fool. And it's, yeah. it's not funny. You know, when it's one thing to, on blogs and on the web just to, you know, talk amongst yourselves. But when you have taken an oath and are something official, you know, like casting the electoral votes of a state, you have some responsibility to speak something resembling the truth. It's, it just shows how far we are. And it's uh, it's dangerous. Yes, it's not funny. It's scary, actually. And um, we, we 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 look back, and of course, the great Texan president LBJ, uh, probably I guess maybe the biggest political figure to come out of Texas. Uh, and there was the when he saw he signed the civil rights bill. Um, you know, he was told that Democrats will lose the South, which did happen. And we're seeing Georgia flip since the, I think it's since 92, 91 in terms of voting for a president. And we were talking about the Texas and the thought that they had that up for grabs. Um, is that, you know, losing of the South changing? Is there are there chances to gain some of that back, do you think? Yes, there is, because um, in a lot of ways, Texas is. A little different. The thing is, any stereotype you have about Texas is true somewhere in the state. It's a state of great diversity. And again, when I first moved here, having grown up in Brooklyn and then finished high school and and, uh, college in Florida and wound up in East Texas, uh, East Texas is deep south. Uh, it is, uh, it's Louisiana where I lived in Lufkin, Texas, about an hour and a half, an hour from the Louisiana border. And it's, it's deep south. Uh, but different parts of the state are, are different. The other thing that's going on is incredible in-migration. Uh, I guess I was part of it many years ago, but in, in recent years, especially here in Austin, a lot of people from California moved here. Everyone needs to understand Austin is is different than Texas. I think uh, I think Biden carried the county I live in, Travis County, got about 70% of the vote, which I think may have been the highest in the state. Uh, this is a, a democratic area of a uh, of a republican state and matter of fact our republican governor is always at war here threatening to take over the austin police department because we have in his mind some crime problems here and it's it's just different but it, it, it's a state of great diversity and a lot of people moved in from california a lot of high tech people austin is a uh, demographically a uh, relatively or is a highly educated area and it's just different and even some of the suburbs around Austin and also around Dallas and Houston that were Republican are are changing. So it is it is morphing here. But yeah, the you know the, the Johnson, the people who told Johnson that were, were correct, and we've had what a generation or two now or three uh, where it's been the, the the solid South for the Republicans, just like it before that was a solid South for Democrats for many years. But it's um, it, it's funny our. Our new state Republican chairman, the guy Alan West, who happens to be an African-American, he, uh, he talked about it after the election. You know, their big thing is that, that African-Americans should be voting for Republicans because it was a party of Abe Lincoln. Absolutely true. But if the only thing you have to sell is something that happened, you know, 170 years ago, <laughs> you, you need something, you know, a, a little more current than things, some of the things Republicans have done here on voter ID and things and, uh, and on social programs just haven't played well in the African-American community. And to come out and say, you know, uh, Abe Lincoln, it's, uh, I don't think it goes very far. Well, they, they also have a long way to go. I think, you know, back in uh, the uh, 2016 elections, I think there was a number that said 4 million African-Americans stayed home in that race um, who had voted for Obama, not Hillary Clinton. And then this year, I think Atlanta, Philly, and Detroit were really, you know, the three hot spots that kind of pushed uh, 
pushed uh, um, Biden over the the hump. And we'll see next week what happens in Georgia and the early vote there. I think they already have like 2.3 million people vote, which is a phenomenal total. And it's just a man. You know, I think they said there's something like $450 million on TV ads have been spent down there. It's just amazing. Uh, And, you know, for it to come down to that one state will determine uh, control of the Senate. You know, a few weeks ago, I would have said, there's no chance that either of those Democrats can win down there, uh, also for Warnock. But I, I don't know now. This this big turnout means maybe something a little different, and it's gonna yeah. be uh, it's gonna be fascinating. And the money spent there, I mean, I, I can't imagine the TV ads must be back to back to back down there. It's funny. Sure. I get text messages on my phone from the Democrats. They are pushing me to vote, and the only connection I can see is, and they are sometimes my son lives there, and my daughter-in-law. And somehow, I don't know how this world works, where they think my cell number is my son's or my daughter-in-law's, <laughs> and I get about six texts a day, and I finally start responding saying, you know, no, this is not Jeremy, my son, and you are soliciting a vote that would be illegal, so you may not want to do that. Oh, I don't know. Participate. It's America, you know. <laughs> um, it's really amazing what Stacey Abrams has done in that uh, Georgia Um you know, voting, getting yeah, and, and obviously it was ripe for it, for the right person to come along and do it. Mm-hmm. She is a perfect person, by the way, a graduate of the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas wow. in Austin. And, you know, and, and you just wonder, are other southern states, is, is Alabama, if the right person came along, ripe for it? Is Louisiana ripe for it? And it just takes the right person. She is a uh, obviously a unique talent, and uh, you know the the right woman at the right time for the Democrats there. But we'll see what happens next Tuesday. It's it's just going to be fascinating. And whatever happens, uh, you know, Trump will claim something went wrong. I saw he was tweeting again this morning that the governor there is evil, Brian Kemp. He just you know he's turned on him and the Secretary of State there, who are all Republicans. It's uh, it's beyond belief. Well, it kind of gets back to a little bit about what you said about Texas, because Abrams, you know, 10 years ago, planted the seeds for this. She she went out to, um, you know, New York and Los Angeles and said, hey, we can do this if you support us, you know, and, and that's what happened. So it's come all the way to this point. So, yes, it can happen in other states for sure. You know, I have I have a my, my big political reform I would push. And I think it's a great idea. Probably has some problems with constitutionality, that pesky thing. Uh, but here's yeah. what I think the law should be. You can't give money to a candidate for whom you cannot vote. I should not be allowed to give money to impact who represents the state of Montana in the U.S. Senate. That's now, the problem, of course, is everybody has some interest in who gets elected because they may be affecting something about your life. Right. But it just seems wrong. Yes. You know, I should keep my nose out of other. I should only be allowed to give to candidates running for something I can vote for. U.S. Senate in Texas, my U.S. House seat, maybe my city council member. Totally unconstitutional as a whole free, you know, it's that whole pesky free speech thing. But, you know, the amount of money being poured into Georgia is just crazy. Ah, that free speech thing's overrated. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm behind you, man. Hey, to, uh, this year, obviously, uh, you know, COVID-19 had ruled over everything, although uh, the election and the racial tension just made it for what an incredible year. But you came down with COVID-19. Tell us about that. I had the mildest case ever. Um, the, the, the short version is earlier this year in March, uh, my wife and I and a bunch of our friends went on a what turned out to be a fabulous long planned trip to South Africa. 
uh, we got short. We had a short circuit a little bit because flights were getting dicey, and we were lucky to get out of there. We ended up flying back through Istanbul instead of the way we were going to go. And then we over uh, spent a long time. We were at JFK for about ten hours, and this was when uh, it was just you know wild in the streets there. I remember Pence was saying, "Oh no, everything is getting screened." And I remember I, I still have with me the health form I had to fill out to get back into the country that I still have because no one ever asked me for it. But anyway, the surmise is I, I picked it up there, uh, got home to Austin, uh, had su- had a, a mild cough, a, so mild that other than COVID times, not only wouldn't I have even bothered calling a doctor, I probably, and it probably was ill-advised, would have gone to work. It really was mild. But because we knew what was going on, my wife and I got tested. I was positive. She was negative. Uh, my doctor was amazed. We had spent so much time together, my wife and I, in this trip that she didn't have it. And I explained to him, well, maybe we're not a very close family. But I, uh, so I was for about a week, I had a really a mild cough that went away. Then I did have some fatigue, and but it went away. So for you know, I was lucky, you know, and again, this was early on. No one really knew where this was headed. Uh, then so basically I had a, you started it is what you're saying. I, I, I may be uh, typhoid Ken. And, um, <laughs> the, um, uh, and I had a, a antibodies test in July and I still had a lot of antibodies, which sort of means immunity. I just had my annual physical and I still have it. And that's, no that's, kidding. that's wow. the weirdness of this is, yeah. uh, I am, uh, knock on something, and hope nothing else happens, but I am sort of better off for having had it. I'm the case, you know, of you get it and then, you know, it's not that bad. But, you know, just as mysteriously, there are people like me who it kills or who have right. long lasting yeah. symptoms or yeah. will have things yeah. that come back. And that's part yeah. of the mystery of this. And we've learned a lot more about it, obviously, in the month since then. And, you know, what's going on this week where it seems like it was easier to figure out how to uh, come up with the vaccine and how to get it into people's arms is, uh, you know, is just depressing. You know, and Biden yesterday obviously came down pretty heavy on Trump because uh, the distribution is not going well. And yeah. Yeah, we probably ought to let Amazon do it. They seem to know how to do it. We could track the package. That's yeah, right. Right, right into your arm. It's up the block. <laughs> That's great. Hey, well, we really enjoyed having you. Thank you for joining us, taking your time to be on the podcast. And uh, some fascinating things happening down there. I'm glad to do it. We here in Texas are always to communicate with the lesser states. <laughs> You know, I was supposed to go up to, to D.C. for uh, for the holidays and everybody said, no, you stay home. And I realized that people are just so afraid of Floridians because of our numbers. They don't want to play with us. They're like, you just stay in that state. You just be there. So Yeah, we, we hear too many Florida man stories. Yes, you got it. You go. But thanks for joining us. It was a, it was a treat. Happy to do it. We will be back next week with another edition of the Weekly Retail Politics Podcast, which you can find on RetailPoliticsPodcast.com and on Spotify. You can also subscribe on Apple, where we can help you can help us greatly. If you like us, subscribe to the podcast and write a review. If you enjoyed what you heard today on the podcast, please purchase my new book, The Front Row, My Jagged Journey, Recording American History from Reagan to Trump. Now, available on Amazon.com. Until we meet again, always remember to read beyond the headlines. Happy New Year and have a great week. <laughs>